Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. Today's guest is Chanel Conja Mertz. She is a pediatric speech language pathologist and an orofacial myologist based out of San Diego. She works with children ages 15 months to 17 years old, and you can find her on her Instagram page, its.me.the.slp. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Chanel. Thank you, Shannon. I'm so happy to be doing this with you today. Yeah, I'm so happy you're on today. This is a really exciting topic that I'm excited to learn more about personally. First, we could just talk about kind of like your background with becoming interested in oral facial myology and like how you started learning more about it. And yeah, I guess just your interest in that. And then we can dive into some more questions. Yeah, definitely. Um, So First and foremost, I'm a speech language pathologist, and I I didn't go anywhere near oral facial myology or myofunctional therapy until um, after my clinical fellow. Um, And that's just because I really wanted like a well-rounded clinical experience, and I got that, which was wonderful. And then I started to notice um, with certain clients with regard to speech articulation, they weren't producing sounds, (laughs) the correct sounds after months and months and months of therapy. And I thought there's got to be something going on. And, and that's when I started doing some reading and I came across, um, oral facial myofunctional disorders that can actually prevent progression or, um, can cause not a relapse, but you know, they never quite make it to reaching their speech goals. And that's just because there's literally, there are, are, there's a dysfunction of the muscle of the tongue and the articulators that we have to address before you can uh, target with traditional speech therapy. So that's what kind of got me interested. And then I, I wanted a legit certification, which I am in the process of getting. I am trained right now um, by the International Association of Oral Facial Myology. Um, the certification is an extensive program. And due to COVID, I had to put my certification on hold um, because you know they come out, they watch you from start to finish with multiple patients. So it's something I really wanted to um, perfect. And that's something I can do right now, unfortunately, with COVID. Well, I'm sorry that it's been put on pause, first of all. <laughs> that's, like a, that's a bummer, just another bummer in this pandemic. So for people out there who are just kind of like, wait, what, like, what even is this? What are oral, oral facial myofunctional disorders? Could you kind of dive into that? So what are they? And then who experiences them? Yes, definitely. So um, when we talk about an oral facial myofunctional disorder, we can call them OMDs for short. They include abnormal labial and lingual rest posture, even teeth grinding, poor nasal breathing, tongue protrusion while swallowing, which basically is a tongue thrust. When your tongue pushes out, when you try to swallow water, you'll see that happen with little kids under the age of four, which is normal. But once you reach past four, if that habit hasn't been broken to a proper swallow where the tongue retracts and pushes upward, you'll start to notice issues with teeth alignment. And then you'll see things like poor chewing and bolus management. Something that's super obvious to me is that you'll notice a typical oral placement for speech. And you'll you'll start to see that, you know, that one sound, especially the palatal sounds, they're just not coming through, you know, and you've been working on them for months and months and months. These are all things that are red flags of, you know, how you can identify if someone has, if a a small child has them. Uh, Mouth breathers kind of notice a forward, like resting posture of everything. So when they're just sitting there, not doing, not talking, not eating, 
Um, their mouth is open, their tongue is protruded, and you'll notice their neck is also pushing forward. And then it's really easy to see from like a side view. You'll start to become more aware of um, the characteristics of OMDs. And they can really affect anyone. Babies, you'll notice issues with breastfeeding, picky eaters when you're children. You know, babies even as, as young as like newborns, you know, when you, it's not typical for them to be sleeping with their mouth open. And, um, you know, if you read back, um, hundreds and hundreds of years in this literature, you know, it was often like good practice for moms to actually close the infant's mouth to promote good oral rest posture. Um, and that actually worked. You can, you know, you can notice it in small children. And then, you know, as they get older, they develop um, issues with, like I said, speech and breathing. Um, they can't sleep at night because of the, um, the mouth breathing. They're not, they're not breathing out of their nose. Um, it's so funny because when I talk about the causes and then like um, who it affects, they almost overlap because they affect children because of like a, like a structure, which is a cause of it, you know, and then that, you know, it's, it's all connected, but um, large arachnoids, um, large tonsils, you know, these are all things to look for. Let's talk about what causes them too. And I was going to ask when you do talk about what causes them, does it co-occur with other things? So do children with special needs or maybe genetic mutations or children with low muscle tone, do they co-occur with things like that? Maybe just kind of dive into that too. Okay. okay. Um, so OMDs are, they're multifactorial in nature. So um, they're often, you know, you'll see they occur um, just because of poor poor habits, you know, you, you form poor habits over time, you know, you don't stop using um, the pacifier or the dummy at, a, at, a, at the critical age, or you stick um, to using uh, bottles instead of a proper, um, like a straw or a spout, um, thumb sucking, open mouth breathing. And then you may even have, um, it's, it's not as common, but you may even have um, you know, certain disorders that contribute to it and they're concomitant with the OMDs. But some causes of OMDs um, include uh, like functional airway obstruction, like large tonsils and adenoids, um, like sinus infections and allergies that cause you to open mouth breathe, um, poor oral rest posture, which basically is when your tongue is protruding out and your mouth is open. Because um, at rest, you're, you know, right, like right now, Shannon, when you're sitting down, your tongue is lightly suctioned to the roof of your mouth. Um, and that is proper oral breast posture. Um, so when kids don't grow out of this um, like low posture, which is usually around age four, um, you know, that contributes to um, a habit that's formed and that's really hard to break. A few other things that might cause OMDs are uh, dysphagia, restricted frenula, so uh, like tethered oral tissues, um, which basically are tongue ties, lip ties, buckle ties, uh, which are another word for cheek ties. Um, and these all prevent retraction, elevation, cupping, sucking, latching. Um, and that's all in um, younger children and, and older. I think that's it for the causes. So basically, they can occur in typically developing children. They can occur with children with special needs. So it's basically like they can occur with adults, children, kind of just anyone could experience an OMD. Mm -hmm. I would say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about next, like, let's kind of talk about signs and symptoms of children. And then we can talk about signs and symptoms of adults. So if any parents are listening, or maybe a clinician's listening, and they have a kid who they're thinking about this on their caseload, they could be like, oh, I have noticed that, or I've seen that, or like, not to scare anyone, but just kind of like, <laughs> 
educate people on the signs and symptoms of this topic. So yeah, so we want to start first with children and then we could talk about the signs and symptoms in adults. Yes. And you know, you bring up a really good point. Um, just like with any sort of, you know, diagnostic tool or any sort of um, informal observation, when we see some like red flags, um, we just want to be mindful that we're looking at the whole picture and that, you know, we're looking at these um, like signs and symptoms as they stand independently and as they relate to each other. Um, because you might have a child who doesn't latch, you know, a, a, an infant that's not latching, that doesn't necessarily mean there is an issue um, with an OMD. Um, but with that in mind, um, I'll go into some signs and symptoms of OMDs in zero to three years of age. And you'll find that in this age group, um, young children will have issues with latching during breastfeeding or bottle feeding, difficulty nursing, difficulties with the, sw uh, the suck swallow breathing mechanism and that coordination. Um, you'll see kids have GERD, um, failure to thrive, um, poor lingual range of motion. Um, and that's just indicative, it could be indicative of um, a tongue tie, a lip tie, um, buckle tie. So any sort of restriction of range of movement of your um, lips or your or tongue could be indicative of that. Open mouth posture at rest, um, a restricted diet. It's interesting because you'll see the more work a young child has to do, like chewing up chicken, let's say, like a piece of chicken versus like applesauce, um, you'll start to notice that, um, you know, they'll have these little, um, you know, when we chew, it's really smooth. And, and when a child has an OMD, if they're really working hard to chew, you can tell. Um, and that's indicative of an OMD. You can just tell they're, they're pulling, they're making faces, they're grimacing, um, and they probably just won't even eat it because it's too much work for them. Um, and that's just because, um, you know, there's a disorder of the, of the, of the muscles in the mouth. Um, and then when you look at children who are a little bit older, you'll get some overlap. Um, you'll get some daytime breathing, uh, mouth breathing, um, including nighttime mouth breathing. Um, all kids, all adults, everyone should always be breathing out of their nose. Um, so even if their mouths are open and they're not breathing out of their mouths, it just their mouths are open at rest, that's still, you know, indicative of an, of an, it could be indicative of an OMD. Um, again, with some overlap, you'll see like sinus congestion, enlarged tonsils, poor transitioning um, to solid foods when you're little, picky eaters, prolonged heart spout sippy cup. We talked about that. So if they're just, you know, they're stuck on the dummy or they're, or they're stuck on sucking their thumb or on an inappropriate um, bottle type for their age, that's something to be mindful of. Drooling and poor oral control past the age of two. That's huge. So when I see a young child of two or three who's still drooling excessively, that's something I want to um, really take my time and, and um, inspect because that tells me they're having a really hard time controlling the liquid in their mouth due to weakened muscles. You'll also see, um, again, some overlaps in forward head posture. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, when they're sitting on the floor at school or at home, you'll kind of see their whole body just shift forward. And that's just because of the tongue. <laughs> your whole body shifts forward because of your tongue, which is pretty interesting. So once you get that tongue back, you'll be surprised at what the rest of your body will do. Some signs and symptoms of OMDs in school-aged children and adults. You know, again, it's, it's gonna be all of that 
Um, you might have some teeth grinding, which you'll also find in, in early childhood. Continued speech and articulation disorders, which are huge because you might not see that in little ones because they're expected to make errors and they're expected to um, take a little bit longer to reach certain, um, certain sounds. Um, but you'll start to notice that after three, you know, after four, um, if they're just not, you know, hitting those palatal sounds, you'll see like, uh, if for example, like T, D, L, N, even er, k, g, even the back sounds, and um, S and Z, you'll, you'll notice um, lots of articulation errors um, that speech, like traditional speech and language therapy are just not helping with. I think that's it for uh, signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for walking us through that. I have, I have a question. With GERD in the zero to three age range, like what would that look like? Because I know like GERD in older kids and adults is like lots of throat clearing, maybe heartburn, things like that. But with zero to three, what could parents watch for? And also GERD, so like acid reflux. I don't know if we should dive more into that maybe, I don't know. But um, it, for GERD, what, what could parents kind of be watching for to think like, oh, maybe this is something my child's having, um, maybe like crying after mealtimes, like any, yeah, what, what would you, what would you say? That's a great question because um, babies are often colicky and we, we just kind of think that's just, you know, how they are. And some, some kids are, I was pretty colicky. And this is something you definitely want to address with your primary care physician as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're just, you know, you're making a general assessment, you know, does my child have GERD? Um, you'll notice like they're just really uncomfortable during feeding. Um, they might even, you know, move around a lot. Um, they colic, um, you know, they're, they're just, they keep crying. You don't know why. Lots of coughing during feeding, gagging, irritability, things like that. You'll know because your child is not eating well and you're going to, and you'll take them to the doctor and then your doctor will likely um, diagnose them with GERD. I can't diagnose a child with GERD, but I can tell you if your child's not eating, if they are uncomfortable, if they're gagging, if they're coughing, if they're irritable, if they're colicky. Um, these are all reasons to see um, a PCP, a primary care physician. Um, and again, even just because a child has GERD doesn't necessarily mean they have an OMD. It's just one symptom um, that could can, that could be um, a reason uh, for the GERD. But yeah. Okay. Okay. And then also, just side note for everyone listening, if you um, have a really picky eater, I had... EI Health Therapy, she does lots of pediatric dysphagia and feeding. And she shared this great resource, um, the SOS approach to feeding. They have this, just if you search it, picky eater problem feeder, that can provide a lot of great information about if it's regular, like just like they're a little bit picky versus this is becoming a problem and what to do next and get a little bit more information on that. Okay, so you walked us through the signs and symptoms in children and adults. Now, can we talk about more about speech specifically. So like you did already talk about some sounds that might be tricky, but do you have anything else you'd want to share, especially for all the SLPs out there listening? Like how would this affect speech production? I think it's really interesting how you mentioned already, like sometimes you'll just have a kid and they're not improving and there's sometimes other things to consider. So yeah, do you have anything else to add about how OMDs affect speech production? Yes. Um, I think this is really important because Oral facial myology, it's not new, but it's definitely newer. And it's not something that we just go to when we think, why isn't my child progressing with their speech therapy? And here's the thing, with speech therapy, we're teaching, we're, te- we're teaching tricks, we're teaching strategies 
and compensatory strategies to help that child um, with a particular sound or a group of sounds. Um, and so when you when you start to really look at how a child is producing their, that sound, how why that sound is an error, it provides you with some insight into uh, what is actually happening beneath the surface. So I, what I like to think of when I think of targeting speech sounds is, okay, they're producing these sounds in error, but why? What are they doing with their tongue? So most kids, you know, you'll see like a lisp or you'll see fronting or you'll see backing with certain sounds. Um, and when you look at a child who may benefit from um, myofunctional therapy, um, this child will be a mouth breather who doesn't place their tongue at rest, up, suctioned up to their hard palate. It's, most, it's mostly down. And you can teach this child who has poor oral rest posture all kinds of tricks. You can teach them to pull their tongue back, stick behind the cage for the S, you know, and, and to really, to, to really, you know, maximize on all these little tricks that we teach them to help produce, let's, let's just say an S. But at the end of the day, they're presenting with poor oral rest posture where their mouth is open, their tongue is protruding. So that, that habit has not changed. So this is the cool part. It requires so much more energy for that child to, when they're not talking, come out of that rest posture, get into the right position for that S and to say that sound. Now imagine doing that through a whole speech, <laughs> through a whole sentence, right? Through conversation or even like on demand, you know? All right, say snake. And then they gotta come up from that poor oral rest posture where their mouth is open, their tongue is down. And then remember, you know, that's a lot of work. So you're not really working efficaciously here. You're not working effectively. It's not, it's not the most strategic way to target because you're not addressing the issue. And the issue is this poor habit. So if you can teach that child, so this is what, this is what myofunctional therapy is. It's breaking bad habits and teaching new ones. That's basically what it is. And if you can teach that child at rest to keep their mouth and to keep their tongue where it needs to be at rest, they're already in that position for proper speech for that S, for example, and speech will just come so much more easier to them that that S will, you know, it'll, it'll be, it'll be easier because their tongue is already where it needs to be up on that hard palate and that magic spot. And that's the trickiest, that's the trickiest part of that teaching a child um, who's a, who's a traditional speech student, how to get past this habit. You know, you kind of have to address the myofunctional therapy first, get them out of that habit and then address the speech therapy. That makes so much sense. I loved how you explained all of that. And I like how you explained it so simply as it's just breaking the bad habit. Yeah, that like really cleared things up in my own brain. When you're talking about all of this, I feel like you must like, it must be a common question. If their oral structures are disordered or they have these bad habits with their oral structures, are there other things that are also affected by this? Or is it kind of just isolated to their oral facial structures? Or is it kind of like a lot of other challenges as well? That's a great question. Um, yes, you will see challenges in other areas. You'll often see poor sleep because they're breathing out of their mouths. They're not sleeping through the night. You'll see poor speech. Aesthetically, you'll see um, you'll see a, a more narrow arch with the hard palate. So it's kind of like a V if you want to look at it. So um, if you just make a V with your hands, kind of like a mountain upside down V, um, that's kind of how the arch of your teeth, of the, the top part, will, will form. 
that's how it will appear, let's say if you're a thumb sucker, because you're, you're pushing up the thumb on that hard palate, which is pretty soft, actually. If you're constantly sucking on it and pushing up, you are, it's pretty malleable. You're, you're kind of forming it to, to form like a little mountain, like a V. You know, and then you'll get a tongue thrust. And so aside from the tongue thrust and aside from, you know, any sort of like a lip tie, for example, a tongue tie, even better. Tongue tie, so that's a restricted frenulum. That's also an OMD. Um, it's a tethered oral, oral tissue. So what that does is that little bit of <laughs> that little bit of frenulum right there, it's so restricting that that will cause problems with your trapezius, right? And your sternocleidomastoid. These are muscles of the neck and back. And you'll often, you know, you'll get headaches. You no know, your child is irritable and they get headaches and their whole body is pulled forward all because of this little muscle. Your tongue has so much power. It is unbelievable just how much influence your tongue has over the rest of your body. And, you know, between, you know, not resting at the proper place and, you know, like a short frenulum between those two and, um, you know, not breathing properly because your tongue is obstructing your airway, you know, it can cause a whole mess of health concerns. Yeah, but that, those are just a few. Are you familiar with, I forget her name now, but she's on Instagram and she's also an SLP and she's also an oral facial myologist and she had her tongue tie clip. Do you remember her name? No. <laughs> okay. okay. Do you, okay. Mrs. Speechy P it's one of her friends. And I, that's how I discovered her because she did a little takeover on Mrs. Speechy P's page and I forget her name right now. So if anyone's listening, it'll be, I'll find it and I'll put it in the description of the podcast. But she had a, I think it's probably saved her highlights. She, this is making me think of this because she had her tongue tie clipped as an adult. Mm -hmm. And she said she felt like a, literally a new person. She felt like the most relief she's ever felt. And just hearing her walk through that experience, because we hear about kids who go through this. So we don't actually get to hear from them, like what they felt and how they, and obviously tongue ties can be like a really controversial, controversial like topic, but just her personal experience. And then listening to you say this, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Because I don't know, hearing an adult share the relief she felt in her whole body was so eye-opening. Yes. And it's, it's something you won't, you know, you won't hear the whole picture, the whole story from a child. You won't. But from an adult, oh my gosh, my neck feels better. Um, I have better range of motion with my tongue. I can eat certain things I couldn't eat before. I can, my speech sounds more crisp. Um, you know, my, my sleeping is better. You know, if you, if you were just trying to eliminate the poor oral rest posture with your tongue, you know, there are so many benefits to it. And again, it is a controversial topic. And I should put it out there that, you know, if, if you have a child who needs um, a phrenectomy um, or, you know, any sort of release of the, of the tongue um, or the lip tie or buckle ties, that is completely your decision. And, you know, no mother should be judged. No practitioner should be judged. It's, it's a, it's completely your, you know, your decision. And, um, but I have seen lots of good come from addressing these issues early on versus later. It's, let me tell you, pre and post phenectomy, like myofunctional therapy is painful. It's painful. It's easier when they're little, um, it gets, because all you're doing is massaging the muscles. It's harder as an adult. Um, and you do, those are important parts of the procedure. You don't just want to go in and get it clipped. You want to prepare with, you know, myofunctional therapy and get the procedure and then follow up with myofunctional therapy. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing on that. To end off kind of, and then well, I have one more question after this, but when people, when either maybe an SLP discovers that there's an OMD or maybe a parent thinks maybe like my child has an OMD or basically just what professionals help to treat OMDs? What are the next steps? 
who should, who is best suited to treat children with OMDs? That's a great question too. You have lots of great questions, Shannon. (laughs) 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 So in the same way that, you know, when you look at the signs and symptoms and causes of OMDs, um, it's multifactorial, right? So you really want to look at a holistic, a holistic approach, um, which means you're going to tap into um, a variety of different specialists um, and you'll have a big team. Um, so you'll definitely want to be in contact with your pediatrician. Um, if you are a nursing mother and you're concerned about your um, nursing child, you'd want to contact a lactation consultant, a feeding specialist, um, a speech language pathologist, um, and one who's trained at the very least in um, oral facial myology, um, an ENT, um, an allergist if they're having issues with breathing. Um, there are also other specialists specialists who specialize in like uh, the Buteco breathing method who you can research on um, different, there are lots of different breathing techniques that help achieve the closed mouth and the proper tongue rest posture for um, improved breathing. And if you need to go as far as surgery, you definitely want to consider an oral maxillofacial surgeon and physical therapy if it's affecting the rest of your body, occupational therapist, so there, it really, it just depends on your needs and the bread and butter in, in therapy is really having a good team. Because if you don't have a good team, you're not going to have every area addressed by that specialist. And there's always going to be a hole that you need to fill. Um, and, you know, we, we all try, we all overlap, you know, um, most of our um, professionals in this area, they, we do overlap, but you really want to make sure you're getting special attention, proper recommendations and, and proper care by a specialist for sure. I completely agree. I think the team is so key in really everything to do with therapy and rehab and all of that. I think the team-based approach is so key. Okay. So my last question to end off with, if someone wants to get more training to become an oral facial myologist, learn more about it. If there's SLPs who are, who are really wanting to kind of expand their horizons and get more involved in this area, do you have any recommendations, just anything that you've found really helpful? Yeah. This is probably a selfish question. <laughs> I'm interested in this. <laughs> Yes, I have had people um, ask me this question and it took me a while to really uh, give a thoughtful answer because I was going through the process myself. And I think at the very least, you got to do your own research first and find out what program works best for you. For example, you might not want the certification. You might be content with just, you know, not just, it's great. You're trained. It's an extensive training program. So um, you might be content with being trained. Um, so then there are certain programs you want to avoid because they are a lot more expensive. And that's because, um, so for example, IAOM, um, that's the program I was trained with, the International Association of Oral Facial Myology. I chose this program because it is the only program that allows you to become certified for your COM. So that's like a little acronym at the end of your um, SLP title. And other, from what I understand, other agencies don't um, award that title, but you can be trained through them. And before you even do that, let's just say you're not quite sure if you even fully understand it. I didn't understand anything when I went in. It was truly after that I had a deeper understanding, but let's say you're the opposite and you really want to get all the information you can. Go and find a, a speech language pathologist, a dentist, because you don't have to be an SLP to be um, trained in oral facial myology. Dentists, I believe dental hygienists, 
SLPs, and, I, and I'm forgetting one more, but go out and find one who's special, who specializes or is trained or is certified and ask to shadow them for a day or two. I know it might be tricky right now, and I don't know how possible it is to do it over Zoom, but that's what I would recommend as well. Just really understanding what it is. Um, check YouTube, lots of cool videos, because it's an expensive program and it's really time consuming and it's an investment. So, uh, but it's worth it if you're interested for sure. And you can always feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to answer any questions you have as well. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So where can people find you if they want to follow your Instagram page? You have so many great posts and I really like, and I really like your infographics. I like the vibe of your page. I love it. So for, yeah. So can you share your Instagram and anywhere else you want people to for you? I am looking forward to opening my own private practice for oral facial myology still in the works. I'm still, you know, in the baby phases of it. But for now, you can reach out to me at its.me.v.slp. It's me, the SLP um, on Instagram. And I'll be happy to answer any questions, share any knowledge I've gained. And I would really love to hear from you all as well, because I am I'm not an expert. I'm just, I just started this year, but I'm just super passionate. So any, any, any sort of um, conversation is welcome. And I would love to have it with you. Awesome. Yeah. I can even tell when you're answering the questions, how passionate and interested you are in this topic. And it's, I don't know, it's just really fun to talk more with other people who are just really interested in these types of topics and subjects. So I hope everyone enjoyed this. And found it interesting and learned something new. And yeah, I recommend that you follow Chanel at It's Me, the SLP. And with that, I will see everybody next Monday. Thank you, Shannon.